Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is the MMA Spectator. I am John Gibbon, and today I had the pleasure of speaking with Justin Buckles. If you want to find him on Instagram, at JustinBuckles underscore, we talk about how he left Alaska to pursue his dream of being a mixed martial artist, how he found and started training over at Team Alpha Male, and his rise as a coach and eventual head coach over there. We also discuss about how he's opening up his new and his own gym in West Sacramento, MFI Gym, which can be found on Instagram, at MFI Gym, or MFIGym.com if you want to go to the website. If you want to take advantage of any deals he's got going on right now for early sign-ups, use promo code SPECTATOR. Let him know that we sent you over there. It doesn't matter where you're living in the world. If you're looking for a gym to train with world-class people, definitely a place to go. And if you're in Sacramento, it's definitely a close drive or anywhere in the surrounding area. As always, please give us a five-star review on wherever you're listening to this. Like, follow, share, tag some friends, please. Go on Instagram, tag a couple friends on some topics that you think they might find interesting. As far as the sound quality for this interview went, I apologize in advance. I'm ordering some new mics and everything that I'm going to need to definitely take this up a notch. But as far as the quality of the interview, questions I'm asking, I definitely know it's things that I'm interested in, and I know a lot of other people are too, so I really hope you enjoy it. Again, you can find us on Instagram, at the MMA Spectator, and that same name across all platforms on YouTube, Radio Public, Spotify, anywhere else. Thanks again. Enjoy the listen. It kind of just jumps right into the interview. We're already talking and hit record. So take care, enjoy it, and let us know what you think. So wrestling in high school, I know you've talked about numerous times, you know, working in the oil industry. What made you pursue MMA, you know, living up in Alaska? You know, there was a show called Alaska Fighting Championship that that came to Anchorage, which is the biggest city uh, in Alaska. And uh, they started putting on shows and me and my buddy, Scott McAfee, we were both working on the North Slope. He was a petroleum engineer, and I was a pipe fitter. And we went and watched the show, and we decided, okay, we'll, we'll train and we'll fight in like six months. We were both boxers and never never did. I mean, I did a little wrestling in high school. He wrestled in high school a little bit, but we were both boxers. He, he was a pro boxer, and I was an amateur, the only amateur boxer really in Alaska. There's just a handful of us. We went down and watched the show, and we're like, dude, we'll beat up all these guys. So we signed up for the next uh, the next event, and we both had our debuts 28 days later. And I won mine by guillotine, and I think he won by guillotine as well. Oh, very cool. So uh, your, I mean, your first fight took place February 05, if that's correct. Ultimate Fighter Season 1 airs just a month before that. Uh, huh. were, did you see that? on TV right before and just know that this is something that's going to be huge? You know, I was always a huge fan. The Ultimate Fighter to me, those were, it was kind of, if you were, you know, if you were a fan of the sport and in the sport at that time, the Ultimate Fighter guys were originally kind of just hated by the community. We were like a really, I mean, we were on Sherdog Forum. That was the biggest forum. And uh, we couldn't watch Pride. We, we had to go, you know, it was uh, just a year prior or two years prior. It was dark. There was no pay-per-views. We had to, Oh, yeah. It was a really, really tight-knit community, and when the Ultimate Fighter came out, it kind of commercialized the sport. It was kind of a... I don't remember being like fans and thinking it's going to blow up. We were just kind of pissed at those guys because we thought they got like an easy route and all this other kind of stuff, you know? And that's funny because that's Forrest Griffin. And, uh, oh, yeah. 
that crew, Bonner and all them, and those guys are just the legends. They're, they've kind of what built the sport of its modern day. But back then, those guys, you know, it was kind of like the easy way out, it seems like. I know uh, Horace had a win over Dan Severn. And, I mean, those were old school days, but that was kind of kind of uh, the sport going commercial, honestly, for you know, the way <laughs> I'm thinking against it. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't because of that. It, it helped a lot, uh, our motivation to do it, I'm sure, but I was I was always a real big studier of UFC something for for whatever reason. You know, I first watched it. Right, big fan before. Cool. All right, you go you go eight and one before getting to the UFC. Uh, at what point did you transition uh, going to Team Alpha Male, like leaving Alaska and going down to California? So I originally moved to uh, Hawaii, and I got about half those wins in Hawaii. I was the Icon Sport Champion fighting out of there. I moved from Alaska just because I'm kind of an extreme person. I was like, man, I've been living up here in Alaska. I'm going to go to uh, Hawaii and see some beaches and whatnot, you know, beaches you can actually swim and not die in. Right. Um, and uh, so I went down there, and a you know, big inspiration for me back then was Jason Mayhem Miller at the time, like he had his Mayhem Monkeys. And, you know, I was like a teenager. I ended up moving to Hawaii, and then I would wear an Alaskan-grown shirt and dyed my hair orange, like all these fighters today <laughs> complaining they can't get fights. It's like, dude, you can get fights, you know. Oh, yeah. I just about running. You you have to promote yourself. You know what I mean? I had I had I had bright red hair. I wore an Alaskan grown shirt. I would I would come out in Blaisdell Arena, sold out. This is when um, Robbie Lawler knocked out Frank Trigg and Mayhem uh, choked out Lawler with the arm triangle. I was on these cards. Uh, okay. And, and uh, yeah, I won the I won the Icon Sport belt in first round knockout. And, I'd go around Hawaii with my orange hair, and Hawaii is a tight knit community as well. So, man, much love to everyone out in Hawaii. And, uh, you know, it's was, it was pretty cool being the orange haired Alaskan kid. But everyone would think I was Hawaiian until I talked when I didn't have an accent. You know? uh, right. Because I'm I'm uh, half Filipino. Yeah. So I, I went out there, fought out there, and got in a show called after winning the Icon Sport title. The Icon Sport guys partnered up with Gary Shaw and Elite XC. The boxer runner Gary Shaw, infamous for uh, fixing the Kimbo fight, and, oh, okay. uh, and his son. Yeah, so he came out and he put on an elite XC. And it was Diaz. Diaz fought uh, Diaz. I think there were two of them. I fought on. He fought uh, either Mike Ina or Thomas Denny. I think it might have been Mike Ina. Uh, and that was the first time I ever, you know, I really. Well, there were some guys I met Cortur and 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 Mahler and all these guys around at Icon, but. You know, and I was always a huge Nick Diaz fan. This is when he was after he left the UFC at Fawn Pride. He, he waited at 160. And we were fighting on the same card. I remember he was like, hey, can I use a scale? I was standing there. I was like, you're Nick Diaz. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> Orange-haired kid with an Alaskan-grown blue shirt on. And he gets on the scale, and he, he was waiting at 160 for Mike Ina. But anyways, I fought on that, and they had a press conference. And I, I went to the press conference thinking that I was going to be sitting next to Diaz. Or, or I think I – th- no, I think actually this fight was uh, – Excuse me, Ninja Hua versus, I think, Lawler. First, Robbie Lawler was the main event. And they had a press conference. They had all these other fighters on there. And I thought I was, I showed up at the press conference because I was the icon champ. I'm like, I'm the champion of icon. It's the biggest show in Hawaii. It's the feeder show to the UFC. I'm the champion. I heard yeah. there was a press conference. No one told me not to go. So I showed up. They had all these name tags. And I'm standing there. And I don't see my name. I'm like, what the hell? Uh, I just didn't know. You know, I honestly was just kind of oblivious to how things worked. It's very, I mean, I was 20 years old or something at the time, 21, 21, yeah. had to be 21, 22. So 
So I, the press conference gets over, and I walk up to Gary Shy and say, hey, why wasn't I at the press conference? He goes, uh, excuse me? And I go, listen. He's like, I was like, I'm the Icon Sport Champ. I'm from Alaska. I was like, if I, I'm going to knock my guy out in the first round, you guys you should have had me at the press conference. And he goes, okay. He's like, okay, I, I like that. I like that. I like hearing that. And then uh, I was like, can I have that monster drink or something? He's like, yeah. So monster <laughs> drink. I leave. I come back the I come back the next day and fight in Elite XT, and I'm like the spot. I'm like the last on the prelims, you know. And I'm the yeah. the champ, and I was supposed to fight this guy, this big rivalry. And he pulled out, and I ended up fighting a, a pro kickboxer. And I told everyone and my guys at Bulls Pen, uh, Dino Fernandez was my coach, and Mark Moreno was he was the big dog at the gym. He was the uh, X1 champion, and then Marco Shiro, he was the X1 champion. We were the best in our weight in Hawaii. Marco Shiro won or Marco Shiro won. 135, 145, they fought in both. I was 155, I was the best. And then uh, 170 was uh, Mark Moreno, he was the best. Out of Oahu, DJ Penn had some guys like Rasta, Boston, Benes, and these guys who were trying to have a rivalry at 170. And then they had a couple guys for me, but I beat all BJ's, but BJ's guys, you know. Uh, cool. Then I fought out of, out of there. I fought in Realm on the Rock, too, in that time when I was the Icon Sport Champ. But I beat one of BJ's guys, but... Anyways, the next day comes back and I fight this kid, a Kaika Choi Fu, and he's a pro kickboxer. He, he he has like one, he's like he's like three and one in MMA, and he's got like eleven or something pro kickboxing fights. And, and I'm telling all my guys at the Bulls pen, I'm like, yeah, we're 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 warming up. I'm like, yeah, the only way this guy can beat me is if he kicks me in the head. You know, that's the only way. There's no way he ain't gonna knock me out with a punch. He's not gonna submit me. The only way he's gonna kick me in the head. Like a minute in, we start brawling. He kicks me in the head. Like, <laughs> Uh, he like lands a right hand and it actually dropped me and I was in denial for like six months of that, that drop. He tried to jump on me. I put him in a triangle. We scrambled up and then he ends up hitting me with about like the hardest shot you can, you can throw from his hip and I'm charging in cause I'm like enraged. I, you know, I, young kid, really early in the yeah. I'm trying to just take his head off and he hits me with like the hardest right hand. It rips my head around, like rips my head off. And as he does that, I hit him with my right hand and he falls, uh, face down you know what i mean we trade our yeah. right hands he like ripped my head off i hit him he falls face down and i'm like rocked beyond belief and out of the corner of my eye i see a little japanese guy mario yamasaki trying to tackle me you know and yeah. he, this is for real and i wish i could find the footage of this but he tries to tackle me and i like uh you know like i stop like on my toes and move my hips back and he hits the fence and i take <laughs> I, I his face down on the mat like in the fetal on all fours and I grab him, and I, I punch him a couple times, and I put his lifeless body in a rear naked choke and uh, have him – and I, I'm just – I don't know, you know. I'm kind of out of it, and I get him in a rear naked choke, and then Yamasaki recovers, stops the fight. You can look up the Sherdog play-by-play. <laughs> they describe it pretty hilarious. But after – they say Yamasaki tries to stop the fight and whips. But <laughs> so anyways, I get on the mic, and uh, and it was a crazy fight. Like, the place went crazy because it's just – what I described was pretty crazy. Blaisdell sold out. Blaisdell Arena, the biggest arena in Honolulu. I get on, I get on the mic and I say, "All right, Gary Shaw comes in. Gary Shaw walks in. He goes, at Elite XC, we reward exciting fighters, and we're going to reward Justin Buckles with a ten fight or like a six fight contract.'" And he did all this big thing, and the crowd went crazy. Then I got the mic and I said something. I was like, "I, I should get two bonuses. I'm the only guy to ever knock them out and choke them, <laughs> something <laughs> like that." And then uh, uh, I went in the back and. I thought I had made it. I thought I had made it in fighting and all that stuff because Elite XC was on the way up and oh yeah, investing all this money. And then I get the deal, the contract deal. It's a 10-fight contract. I'm making like 
as the icon champ, I made in Elite XD, I think it was 1500 and 1500 or something. And, uh, yeah, that was a huge pay increase for me from the icon sports money. So I was happy with that. So I was going to make three grand. It's funny because I was making, uh, two grand a week working on the North Slope, but then I come down there and fight for 1500, you know? Or I was making yeah. 1500 a week working on the North Slope, and then I come down there yeah. and fight for 1550. But I, yeah, I, I, injuries. Yeah, exactly. The risk of death, right? This is a battle. But, uh, he, he ends up offering me his contract. It's like, I fight once for Icon for 15 and 15, then I fight once for like Elite XZ for 15 and 15, and that's two fights down. He had 10 fights like that. It increased 500 each time, and I was like, huh? I was like, I'm supposed that's to pay here. I knocked, I knocked that dude out, blah, 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 blah. And then, uh, then next thing you know, the UFC called me, Joe Silver, and said, hey, you want to make a debut? And I was in San Diego at the time. I was transitioning out of Hawaii because the training there just, you know, I was kind of looking for another place to train, like bullpen, man. They're in, like, the ghetto in Kalihi, Hawaii, where all the, uh, you know, I don't know, only Hawaiian people go. They say that, but Hawaiian people are, you know, the only experience I've ever had with Hawaiians and Samoans and stuff on Hawaii is they were the nicest, sweetest people ever, you know? Really? Uh, yeah, for me. I mean, I would, there was another kid who came from Alaska, uh, and he, he'd be like, oh, you, he's like, you can't go to Ala Moana on, on weekends, because, and Ala Moana is this big beach park, right, in, in uh, Honolulu, right in the center. And uh, he goes, you can't go to Ala Moana. And he's as, he's as, he's, you know, he's as white as he can be, white as, like Casper. He goes, you can't go to Ala Moana on, on weekends because the Samoans will kick your ass. And I'm like, huh? I was like, I go there like every other, you know, I go I go there and there's bounce houses everywhere and there are Samoans where they'd all be sitting in their chairs barbecuing and they'd be surfing. And I'm like, what the heck? And like, you know, people just get such a weird, they get weird ideas of things. But, you know, I had never, never had any. You know, there was, and I went up surfing there, and I never had no one come up and say, hey, this is for locals. and none of that shit. But I guess I look local because I got, you know, I'm half Filipino. But, yeah, you get uh, that tan going. Yeah, and yeah. so the next thing you know, Joe Simpa calls, and I make my debut in uh, Matt Wyman in uh, a fight night, like, 28 or something. You know what I mean? This is old school. My first yeah. UFC pay-per-view was uh, I fought Quentin, ja- uh, Quentin Jackson, Forrest Griffin. That was when Forrest Griffin became... You know, he transcended sports for me. It wasn't that fight, you know, I mean, it was Stephen Bonner because at the time those are two reality show guys. And, and right, like, okay, they're sure. the reality show guys. They did that good scrap, but whatever. But then Forrest Griffin, you know, I've only been to probably three or four UFCs. Well, actually about five or six now UFCs where I wasn't cornering. I've been to a hundred cornering, you know, around a yeah. hundred corners. Um, but I've only been to three or four. Where I've sat in the crowd and, um, well, five or six now because uh, Cynthia brought me to two. But uh, one of them, the first one I ever went to was when Forrest Griffin beat Shogun. And Shogun was the best fighter on the face of the earth when Forrest beat him. And Forrest was the guy off the reality show. So then I, oh, I yeah. really understood I understood what, what uh, Forrest was about. And then when Forrest was fighting my boy Quentin come out of pride, the pride champ, knocking everyone out, knocked out Chuck out. I thought Forrest didn't have a chance in hell, you know. And then uh, Forrest ends up beating Quentin. Over five rounds that night. That was like UFC 89 or 80 or something. Uh, that was yeah. the one that I fought on. Or the, my first pay-per-view I fought on. And I ended up choking out Corey Hill. And then Joe Silva told me I had the bonus all the way up until the main event. He goes, yeah, you got the bonus. And then uh, Quentin and, and Forrest beats Quentin over five rounds. Takes the belt. Huge underdog. Gets fight of the night. So I was out 50 Gs that night. But Dana and the Fertitas still gave me a $10,000 bonus for that submission. Just... uh Oh, very cool. Behind the scenes, you know? And that was yeah, when I was making, I think, I, I think, yeah, I think I made, was making four and four at the time, so that helped a lot, you know? 
I felt I was rich, you know, 18 grand in the bank. Uh, but oh, then I had to pay all my trainers and everything else. But, uh, yeah, no, that's the, that's the legend of Forrest Griffin to me. I've seen, I seen what pure hard work does. I mean, the guy is a hell of an athlete, but it's all because of his mind. He's not he's not doing a box jump like 80 inches and sprinting, leaping buildings in a single bound. And he just goes hard, you know, and, and trains hard. They have to kick him out of the gym. So that really yeah. gave me a big lesson in MMA. What, what's the possible? You can have a monster like Quinton, like a knockout killer a slammer, like, howling like a wolf, you know? And then uh, Forrest Griffin goes in there and, and just beats him on his heart, on his will, you know? America, yeah, for sure. Make me believe in America. <laughs> oh, it's cool to see how, you know, see his career, how it's, you know, evolved too, you know, seeing him over what he's doing over at the Performance Institute and the fact that he's still, uh, you know, an extremely relevant name just in the sport in general. So, Well, he's just, I, I feel like Forrest is just one of those solid people because, I mean, he, he won, a, like, a, a Scion on the Ultimate Fighters. I think he still drives that. <laughs> I think Toyota Tires <laughs> gave him that stuff for the commercial, but I still think he's driving that Scion, you know what I mean? It's like Chuck Liddell got the job. Bonner got, you know, they were giving Bonner all the treatment. They gave Matt Hughes a job. They gave Chuck Liddell a job. They, they, they tried, Dana tried to look after these guys and help them. The only guy who showed up at work and kept going and progressing, and now he's the head of the Institute, is Forrest Griffin. So not only does yeah. he have a great story in the cage, his story outside of the cage. I mean, he he had his peers were there, and they're not there anymore. They can't pay Chuck Liddell just to party. They can't pay Matt Hughes to be white ambassador and just walk around with a stinky look on his face at every event. You know? <laughs> they paid for him right. to do his job, and he he showed up with pen and paper. And I mean, he he put together the PI. Now the PI is I call it uh, Forest Fantasy Factory. You know what I mean? He gets to look at all that stuff, and make that tour, all those gyms. And I talked to him a bunch about it, and, and it's just so. So cool to see, you know, him running out. You know, they got one, one kid in there, my my dude, uh, his name will come to me, but he's Muay Thai kickboxer, and he's got a degree in nutrition, you know, and he's helping Cynthia with her weight cut. It's like, who can we find that's better? Someone who competed, someone who's there, who, who has the degree, the credentials, and then he's working at the freaking PI. But those are the kind of kids they're hiring and, and, and pulling out of there, so. Uh, you know, they're just only continuing to improve. You know, you can't start out perfect. Perfect. Uh, for sure. that's, that's something that I've seen. But a funny story. So Cynthia was cutting weight in Vegas one time, and we were using the PI, and we had seen Forrest like every single day, and I was all just all giddy like a kid because Forrest is the man. But we go in there to, to cut weight, and, and I see him. I'm like, hey, Forrest, what's up? And he just looks at me like like he's all pissed off, and he's mad. He's got a hat on him. And we're getting there to cut weight. And, and I'm like, he just kind of looks at me like all kind of, kind of, you know, not all happy like he usually is. And I'm like, what the heck? And then uh, then me and Cynthia are sitting in the sauna. And he comes in the sauna. He's, and then I realize, holy shit, this guy has a sauna suit on, all sweats and a hat. And he goes, and he just starts going, well, I started at 2, 2 18 this morning. I'm down to this. And he just starts telling me his stats. And I'm sitting there like, holy shit. Forrest <laughs> Griffin is, has cut eight pounds and he plans on cutting four more right now, you know, and he's just, he's just doing it, suffering with the fighters. Cynthia had to get weight off. She's in the middle of it. He's, they're both laying on the floor. And I, and I was just talking to him, <laughs> you know, how, how blessed you are, you know, this is supposed to be bad or whatever. You get to sit in a sauna and cut weight with the people's champ. You know what I mean? This is yeah. the man that, that explain. you know, where I got, this is dog shape. Forrest Griffin was in dog shape. You know what I mean? If you get a, uh, anybody who's in dog shape, you, you got, you're going to have – you're dealing with a dog in there. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. literal translation. 
and Forrest Griffin always got in dog shape. But this dude, he's in there. He cut 18 pounds since since the morning. He was getting in it. He was weighing in at 205. And then, you know, he's so crazy. He's already talking about 185, how it was too easy. How it came back. <laughs> he's insane. But, you know, it was a great experience. Since he got to sit in there, you know, sweat weight with, with a legend of the sport, a uh, uh, living, walking, breathing legend. And, uh, you know, just a hell of a cool guy, too, you know. Just yeah, all that, the legendary shit. He's just a badass dude, but you know, so it was a good experience for her. But that, that was the TI man. I I I love the TI. So when you were uh, when you were looking for your gym, you're leaving. So you went to Hawaii, and then you're yeah. you're leaving there. You're looking for another gym. What made you uh, choose Tam over uh, like Team Quest or Caesar Gracie? You know, like you said, you were a friend, uh, like a fan of Nick Diaz. Uh, you know, they're already over there together. They're somewhere like ATT or ATA. Well, what kind of stood out to you to go to Yeah, train? back then, back then I think ATT was called the Armory, and it was just Hermes Franca. But he, I think that was ATT before, at the time. There was no ATT. There was Jackson's and not much else. I mean, I knew of Duke Rufus, but that, that was really it. Uh, but what made me go to Team Alpha Male was, my buddy Scott McAfee, the, you know, my buddy who I, who my best friend from Alaska, who I made, we made our debuts together when we worked yeah. after we, while we were working on the slope together, he actually fought in WEC. We made his WEC debut. It was in Las Vegas. I flew over from Hawaii and, uh, we were just kind of hung out with Faber that fight week. He had a guy, Kenneth Alexander, fighting Donald Cerrone. And Donald okay. Cerrone, uh, ended up beating Kenneth, but he, got busted for a diuretic, which was for masking. I mean, as far as I was interested, masking steroids, you know. Um, I just think it's so funny how one guy will do steroids and everyone tries to kill him, and then they look back and all their heroes have already been busted for it. You know? like, yeah. I mean, but then there's the clean guys too, you know, and they're just the the real victims are the, the clean fighters in, in everything, I, I feel. And uh, But anyways, uh Faber was there cornering him, and then he invited us to go train out there. And uh, me and me and Scott, after his fight, we went to San Diego. We went to Dominic Cruz's gym with Eric Del Furo. We went in there, and Cruz was actually hitting the bag. And we're like, huh. We, we, we were kind of interested in Southern California because we're both from Alaska. And we were right. like, oh, we'll live in San Diego, blah, blah, blah. We went through the gym, and we saw Cruz hitting the bag. And Del Furo gave me a tour. I don't know if he remembers it was me. I, I, Del Firo is one of the guys that is a true master of the sport. I have utmost respect for him. I've faced him in the corner for the last 10 years. I mean, 27 round or let's see, with Cody's uh, dominant win over Cruz, I've cornered against Cruz 32 rounds. So 32 rounds against Eric Del Firo over the last decade. You know, that's my credentials I'm bringing to the table. But uh, yeah. I've always had the utmost respect for him because he he's just a he's he's a real real trainer real martial artist Del Fiero is but I don't know if he remembers giving me and Scott a tour but we go through the gym and it's so cool and all everything and then he shows me he's like yeah this is where a barber is gonna be I was like a barber and he said yeah this is where a tattoo guy's gonna be they're gonna give tattoos and I was like just thinking I'm like okay that kind of turned me off like what the hell I want a tattoo place in a gym you know I just and I would be like yeah. why wouldn't you get like a bag or a you know but it was they were doing a setup, and he had a bunch of partners. And so, anyways, we were we were set on staying in San Diego, and this is when California. I don't remember what year it was, but California was on fire, like literally on fire from NorCal to SoCal. It was just fires everywhere, just in the middle of a drought. And um, me and Scott had a soft top Jeep, and we were like, "Oh, we got to drive up to Sacramento." It's like 
like eight hours away. Like, what are we in Alaska? We got to drive like eight hours through this force. This whole state's on fire. And a soft top Jeep when the air's bad. We're like, we didn't even care. We're like, yeah, let's do it. So we jump in there. We're driving and, and we're driving down and there's canyons coming out of uh, San Diego. There's all these canyons in the mountains there and they're just fire, flame all the way to the top of them. And, but they kept the roads open, you know. And people don't. Under, I mean, people just don't understand like the the uh, like the Caltrans, the people who watch the roads, the firefighters, the state workers that that keep this place moving. I mean, but anyways, we drove up to, to Sacramento, and I go in the gym, and you know, I met uh, uh, Uriah's partner, Matt Fisher. You know, he was like a huge part of that gym success. He uh, he told me and Scott and then one of our other friends, Tito Jones, that we could train there for free. He's like, I was in the UFC at the time, you know, and I was looking for a, a real camp on the, in the United States, and I told him I was in the UFC. He's like, oh, man, you're in the UFC. You guys can train there for free. I was like, awesome. And uh, he was he was Uriah's partner. And then I met Master Tong, and he Master Tong barely spoke any, lang- any English at all. Like, a lot of people can't understand him now, but he had zero English. But I can always understand, you know, I'm, I'm – uh, Asian myself and had a lot of relatives crack crackalacking and all that stuff all the time. Yeah. So I, I can understand uh, broken English pretty good. But then I, I, I watched him and uh, Uriah and Master Chong hit mitts for like 90 minutes straight. This is back in uh, prior to Faber even fighting Jeff Kern. He was just a, 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 a little, little ferocious animal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but they hit mitts for 90 minutes and then I got to work out with Tong and Meet some of the guys, uh, Joe Benavides, Dustin Akbari. Uh, he's a multiple-time world champion in jiu-jitsu. And we just kind of all got along good, me and those guys and Tong. Uh, and then, uh, you know, and then, then the alpha male seg- segment of my life is uh, starts off, you know. I, right. And then I continue fighting in the UFC. And I was the first uh, fighter out of Team Alpha Male to fight in the UFC. Uh, everyone else was in WC. And then from there, I was at after after uh, the UFC absorbed WEC, I cornered all the all the main guys for the over the next you know eight ten years for all their fights and that and and all the new prospects, all the people coming to the gym, like you know then Mendez showed up, then Dillashaw showed up, then uh, Lance Palmer showed up, and so on and so forth, so forth on the names down, and then then there was my era. There was the Dwayne era, the Martin Campman era, my era, and then uh, whatever they're doing now, you know. Right, for sure. So, according uh, a bunch of fights as an active fighter, you know, speaking on that, you know, all those guys coming over from WC to jump into the UFC. First question: Did you plan on becoming a head coach when your fighting career was over? And then also, as you're fighting and then you're cornering all these active fighters, kind of, what do you think made them comfortable? you know, having you specifically in all of their corners and them trusting in, in like, a, in your game plan and, you know, your your fight IQ. Like, what do you think made you stand out to have all these guys trust you and want you right there? You know what? I, what honestly, what finally did, I, I, I cornered, I, you know, I, I, you know, one of the first fighters that I cornered was Charlie Valencia, and it was, he fought uh, Dominic Cruz, Dominic Cruz's first fight at the weight. This is nine, ten years ago in WC. Dominic Cruz was a 145er, but naturally was a 135er, and he dropped down to 35. He went undefeated for for uh, nine, ten years until I cornered Cody, give him a master class ass whooping. But nine years prior to that, I trained Charlie Valencia. 
I was part of Charlie Valencia's training camp, but I was, he kind of made me his head corner. Uh, he had one of his friends and then Joe Benavides, but me and Charlie would run every day. And uh, Charlie, Charlie, again, another legend of the sport. I call him the wise old tree, but uh, he, uh, he ended up fighting Dominic Cruz. And during the fight, it was a really, really interesting thing because when Charlie would come back to the corner, I'd say he's slipping his head way out over his knees. I was like, throw a punch, and then when he slips his head out, throw a kick, and you'll kick him right in the face. And uh, Frank Mir was commentating, and he goes, oh, the corner work of uh, Charles Ledge's corner. I like what they were saying, you know, doing his yeah. thing, you know. And uh, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then I cornered uh, – and it would have worked, but Charlie, you know, we didn't have that in our game plan, and Charlie's a good boxer. He likes punching, you know, and his kicks are – he doesn't fall him necessarily in that style. It's hard to call for something you don't – you know, know that your your fighter can do it. And this was Charlie was I looked more up to Charlie. Charlie wasn't looking up to me. I was looking up to Charlie, and that was kind of just my first uh, first thing, first um, foray into cornering. Then I cornered Danny Castillo in Florida, and he ended up TKOing the guy. And I told him in the corner, I said, "You're hitting him." Uh, I was like, "He's dodging the first one." I was like, "You need to you need to knock this guy out. Step in with with three, four, and five. You know, like continue the combination." And then uh, he ended up hitting the guy he put he put a combo on him knocked him out and the legendary stitch duran walked up to me afterwards and said he had no idea who i you know he didn't know who i was i knew who he was and right. he told me he said hey he goes that was really like after the fight was over he the fight ended we were all like celebrating i'm standing there on the outside of the cage he comes over to me and says that was really intelligent precise cornering he said uh he said you don't hear good cornering. He said, you're really good at it. You don't hear good. He's like, in this, I haven't really heard anyone, you know, he's kind of saying, cause he's from boxing. He said that he kind of conveyed that, um, he did not hear good corner work in necessarily in MMA. He just said he doesn't hear good corner work. And he gave me a bunch of props. And then throughout the years, he showed me how to wrap hands. And he's another one of my, uh, mentors that I learned a lot from over, over the 10 years, because, he was at all the WCs that I cornered at, and then he was at all the UFCs that I fought at and cornered at. Um, and he, you know, there was, that was a sister era. I lived through the sister era. Uh, those kind of things kind of put it in my head that I maybe I knew what I was doing a little bit. And then all the fighters just were. I was just next thing I know, I'm cornering them, I'm training them, I'm holding mitts for them, you know, and doing this kind of stuff. And, and a lot of it was I was the only guy around who would kind of hold mitts for other people. Everyone was just worried about themselves, but. Yeah, coming into Alpha Male, I really thought that there was my philosophy that I've been told as a kid was that there's no I in team and you have to put the other people on the team above you for you to be successful. But I didn't really understand how MMA worked. That MMA is is is, is it's I guess it's a team sport, but it's it's a singular sport. It's only you and them in there. You know, you your corners there, and then and then the other guys there. There's no, you know, there's no team like they'll get you ready. The team of people will get you ready, but it's just yeah. you in the cage. And I kind of misconstrued that. And I thought, Oh, there's no I in team. I'll just help everyone do this. But, you know, after 10 years of doing it, I realized like, man, a lot of these guys don't help me do anything. In fact, they, you know, they wouldn't help me out of the, out of a, if I got stuck in the ditch and they were driving by, a lot of these guys wouldn't even stop, you know, and that's just the cold reality of life. And, uh, uh, you realize that, but, but little, did they know that they gave me, you know, 10 black belts in coaching, you know, yeah, that was their sure. psychology experience. I got 10 years. Who's got 10 years and fought at the, at the highest level. You know what I mean? Yeah. Who, who, who been in the Super Bowl, and then who's coaching the Super Bowl at the same time. A lot of times a good fighter 
does not mean you're a good coach. And I've seen that with my own eyes. I think we've all seen that with our own eyes. Uh, a famous fighter who tries his hand at coaching and absolutely sucks. You know, yeah. we've seen that, you know, but uh, it doesn't mean the same thing. Now, does, can it, does it hurt you that you competed? No, it can really only help you that you competed. Is it essential? No, it's not, but uh, it helps. And not ask me. I mean, I got the pedigree. Yeah, for sure. I'm like a pit bull with all his papers. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, all right, you, know, you, got a, you got a you got a long list of uh, you know great fighters that you look at their records of times that when you were around, and you know it's not something anybody can argue with because it's in black and white, and yeah. uh, you know you see you know what they've done in the championships that you you know you brought to the team, which uh, I definitely want to get to too. One thing I want to ask you about, and I can completely cut this out, or you can say no comment, whatever. But the tension with yourself and TJ on on the show, on the Ultimate Fighter show, was that completely to pump up bias for the fight? And I ask this because on your podcast, Stud Radio, episode 98, TJ comes on and uh, he comes onto the show. He announces his departure, and then he's going to Elevation Fight Team. Uh, you know, obviously you invite him on. You let him, you know, get his side of the story. Um you and Kristen, you know, seem very genuine, you know, for a good friend, uh, support for what he's got to, you know, do what you got to do. And then again on episode 112, you and Chris discussed the inevitable fight between TJ and Faber and about how that's monetary reasons. Um, you know, you don't want to see either one of them get hurt, but, hey, you know, that's the biggest money fight that they can possibly put on in the weight class. And then again, um, episode 152, TJ calls in to discuss uh, his upcoming fight against the Sunflower at UFC 200. And there was obviously between, you know, episode 98 and episode 152, a lot of, I'll say, drama that's come out between TJ and Faber. So that's why I asked on the show, I mean, were you guys still getting along yourself personally with TJ at that time? And was it just to sell the fight or was there, did it really turn into real animosity? No, so it turned into definitely real animosity. What happened was uh, TJ uh, left the team because of his problems with Uriah, and that which yeah. stemmed off of uh, Uriah's problems with Dwayne, which stemmed off Dwayne's uh, crazy success with the team. You know, he had was almost as successful as me, not quite, maybe about half. You know, but uh, uh, with what he did to the team, and uh, that 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 put him at ends with Uriah, same as mine. You know, and then. Yeah. Uh, once once uh, TJ proved that he wasn't going to hate Dwayne, he got in uh, Uriah's uh, crosshairs, and and then they had their whole little spat. But for me, it was TJ. TJ left the team. I took over as head coach. I just decided I was going to be the head coach because I saw the team getting flushed down the toilet, and uh, I decided to step up and be the head coach. And I talked to Uriah about it and had – told TJ I was going to corner him when he defended against Dominic Cruz. And uh, that was when I was taking over as head coach. So then Uriah said, okay, you can be head coach after you're done cornering TJ. And TJ was like January that month. Anyway, so then I go and I corner TJ and I come back. And then TJ lost that fight. And he was all depressed. And he probably thought I should call him to cheer him up or whatever. But we didn't really talk that much. And I just go to work at Alpha Male. I got this kid, Cody Garbrandt, this young knockout kid. You know what I mean? I got all these other kids. They're 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 going other places. They're ready. They're kind of fleeing Team Alpha Male. Cody, I mean, his first fight of the year, he had 
Brandon Gibson in his corner from Jackson. He was halfway out, halfway into Jackson. Uh, Danny Castillo was training in Colorado with Dwayne and TJ. Joe Benavides had announced his departure from the team. Paige was saying she's going to go to Jackson. And there was no one really uniting everything. Chad, as always, was just working hard at <laughs> fishing, but he was staying at the gym no matter what, you know. There, there was right. guys like that as well. And uh, the team was – oh, and Lance was in Colorado. Lance Palmer was in Colorado. And, uh, anyways, I took over, whipped the program into shape. Um, we started working, and, and uh, you know, we get all these other guys in the UFC start putting together this big winning streak. And, and uh, uh, you know, me and TJ just don't really talk. And, you know, Dwayne keeps – every time he mentioned Team Alpha Male, you know, we would all – talk about how he wanted to beat him up for like a week, you know, just because it was, it was weird how, you know, Uriah's dispute with him kind of spilled into everyone's life and it kind of had to be, or, uh, you know, I don't know, you weren't loyal to team alpha male. If you liked a picture of Dwayne Ludwig, you know what I mean? Ridiculous. So anyways, that that kind of, that kind of uh, attitude and stuff went, went towards Dwayne. And, and for me too, it's like, I, I know how, uh, uh, you know, the mentality and, and stuff going into fighting, and, and, you know, we need an enemy. It was I made the shirt Team Alpha Male versus everybody, you know, yep. and, and, and public enemy or alpha male enemy number one, Dwayne Ludwig, you know what I mean? And, hey, we love, you know, TJ, we're, we're, we're good friends, but that, you're, that's your coach. You're his guy. You're over there. I'm over here with Cody, you know what I mean? I felt yeah. like no matter what friendship I had, my duty as Team Alpha Male head coach trumped any of that. I said, okay. I'm waking up. I'll never be late. I was never late one time. I never missed one class. You know what I mean? I did, uh, uh, I, you know, I busted my ass for that team. But, uh, you know, time time went on, and TJ's at one show this, and then he, he would text me one thing, and I'd text him one thing, and we wouldn't really talk. And then by the time the, the ultimate fighter – and then Dwayne would do stuff like – I remember Cody was fighting uh, that Brazilian kid, Almeida, and, and the day before Cody fights him, he – Dwayne posts, I love this kid's Muay Thai, and posted a highlight video of Almeida. And then he posted a – they did a computer game simulation. Almeida knocked out Cody, and yeah. Dwayne posted that. And then after Cody knocked out Almeida, I reposted, and I was like, you know, you're a, you're a dork, Dwayne, you know. This is a guy you used to train, and you're trying to pick on him. He's like, he's like a kid, you know. He's like 24 at the time, 25 or tw- maybe 26 or something. But anyways, yeah. you know, I just – you know, I wanted to get Dwayne and uh, – then you go back to the gym and all your eye does is talk about your aunt, Dwayne, 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 blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, uh, how, and then, then the ultimate fighter comes around T, or Cody wins the belt. TJ fights the same night. And it's like, all right, you know, this is my guy. Cody's my guy. Me and TJ, I never trained TJ. TJ wasn't my, I was my student in a way, but I was more like just like the older brother when he came to the gym. And then I cornered okay. him for all his fights and helped him and, and that kind of thing. But it wasn't like, TJ wouldn't show up at the gym and then I would admit him down. You know, he wasn't my student. That was how well, Cody was my student. And, okay. and uh, I, I know TJ, I know Cody. So I'm like pretty confident <laughs> Cody's going to beat TJ. I know them both very well, you know. Uh, yeah. Anyways, the ultimate fighter comes around. By then, you know, the guy across the case from me is Dwayne and TJ Dillashaw. My guy, my student is Cody. You know what I mean? It's all yeah. fair and love and war and pay-per-views. So, what you did say by, by, you know, there was real tension there, but was that to build the numbers in my twisted head at that point? It was because we were going to hype this up. Like, like the day that I got into it on Dwayne, I, I, I actually just watched it for the first time the other day. 
my uh, business partner, Bethany, showed it to me. And, I, you know, I was, like, too embarrassed to watch it. Cause, but I finally watched this clip. It has, like, 2 million views or something, Ultimate Fighter. It says Team Alpha Male versus Dwayne. But it's actually just me versus Dwayne. And I remember yeah. that before we went, walked out there, me and Stingray, Cody's uncle, they gave the mic to Stingray, and Stingray said, and I said, no, put that on me. And they're like, no, we're supposed to put it on Stingray. And Stingray says, just put it on, and we're doing something. Like, because <laughs> I was going to go start some shit that day. That was our plan to, to build and hype the fight. So, uh, anyways, I put the mic on and, and uh, got at Dwayne a little bit, and it was uh, pretty pretty hilarious. Like, I finally watched it, and I'm glad I watched it because I just, you know, I was just kind of embarrassed by it acting like that but once i watched it it was pretty funny <laughs> yeah. uh the, the little incident we that we get into but uh anyways you know tj i guess he's he's thinking he's he's thinking that i'm coming back like as his friend like when he left the team you know but why would i come back as his best friend and all this stuff when he ain't hit me up talk to me said nothing to me hey it's kind of messed up what's going on you know he he goes radio silence on my side then acts like i'm supposed to be his best friend when he sees me because when i showed up and i was there you're the you're in the you're in the uh, crosshairs, buddy. I'm about to pull the trigger. His name's Cody Garbutt. He's about to take you out, you know. But yeah. uh, it didn't really go that way. But that that that's a long story. That's an hour interview in itself because my work with Cody Cody's ended with Dominic Cruz when Cody yeah. fought um, Marcus Brimage. Then he had one fight against uh, some real tough Mexican kid. I cornered Mendez versus McGregor that night. Cody fought some other kids. I didn't corner him against that fight, and he, he went to a decision. And then he fought four times in 2016 when I was his head coach, head trainer, head coach at Alpha Male, and he uh, knocked out Toquinho Mendez. He was, like, the best Abu Dhabi guy. We took it on a few, like, hours' notice because uh, John Lineker pulled out, and Cody knocked that dude out in the first round. Then he fought uh, Almeida in the main event, knocked Almeida out after Dwayne posted all those videos. Then he fought Mizugaki. He was our tomato can fight that was going to set us up for the championship. He knocked. He did exactly. And that's the thing. If we didn't take out Mizugaki in the first round, um, you know, Cody wouldn't have fought Dominic Cruz. So he takes out Mizugaki right. in the first round. Then we get the Cruz fight, and uh, you know it was crazy. People at the gym like Cody. Cody's management was all. He didn't have Ali at the time, and it was all screwed up and. He got advised by alpha male people to, to, to fight his contract out, go to Bellator, fight John Lineker. I told Cody, look, oh, you got to fight for the belt. You, yeah, you have to fight for the belt. I said, we're fighting for the belt for free. It's against Cruz. You can beat Cruz. You're the one. You know what I mean? And for me, it was like, dude, it's been 10 years. This guy whooped all my friends' asses. You're the one that can beat him. You know, He beat TJ. You know what I mean? TJ yeah. has come up. TJ was alpha male 2.0, and Cruz beat TJ. I'm like, you know, beat him on the scorecards, but. Cruz knew he was whooped at the end of that fight. He got his leg kicked in. Cruz knew he was yeah. whooped, and uh, uh, but the scorecards read otherwise, and and that's fine, you know, because there is a scoring criteria. But you know when a man's whooped, you know when the corner's whooped, and and you know when the guy can't even walk at the end of the fight. Like what's going to oh, yeah. continue? Let's let's go another round, you know. Uh, good job, you took me down. You're crippled, you know. Anyways, yeah. um, you know I had never beat Cruz in nothing, pissing me off. So. I'm telling Cody we have to take this fight. Eight weeks out, he signs with Ali. Ali makes it happen, does his super manager thing. We get we get the title fight, and uh, we train our asses off. And going into Mizugaki, uh, Cody was he was in kind of bad shape for Mizugaki. His back, uh, he had discs in his back, and, and we all know the problems now. But yeah. that's when it really started happening. But it, that was because of a hard, hard year of 
of uh, training, and, and Cody was completely inflexible in the legs when I first started working with him. The first couple of times I worked with him was almost all mobility to open up his hips, to allow him to kick, to complement the boxing that his uncle taught him, you know? And yeah. um, so anyways, we go into the cruise fight. we got to be real careful with the kicks, you know? And I want to I want to kick Cruz in the head. I want to kick his leg, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was tough getting Cody to that fight, getting the work we need to get, but we did it. And, it, you know, you're not going to beat a guy like Dominic Cruz with an easy camp, blah, blah, blah. You're going to have to go through hell to beat that guy. And then that fight, that was the best Dominic Cruz I've ever seen. In 27 rounds, yeah. cornered up to that point, that was the best Dominic Cruz I've ever seen step out there. He fought his ass off. Cody dropped him. He got up like the Terminator, you know. So uh, uh, I was very impressed by Cruz's performance because Cody was hitting people with this punch. I mean, he would have knocked out an elephant. And Cruz took it and ended up surviving, but... After Cody won that fight, that's where my tenure as his head coach ended. Once you're on the okay. Ultimate Fighter, you can, even, you can even see the Ultimate Fighter. Like once he became champion and all this other stuff, a lot of people got in his ear and, and whatever else. And you know, he's a young, young kid, young stud coming up, and and uh, you know, it is what it is. But uh, you can even see on on the Ultimate Fighter it says Uriah Faber, Cody Garbrandt's head coach. And I looked at that and I was just like, I didn't care because. You know, the team, Cody, me, yeah. all knew that was bullshit. And, you know, I don't think Faber cornered him one time before that, never held mitts for him, never ran a practice for him, never, I mean, drilled with him, but who doesn't drill? You know, that kind of thing. And then yeah. uh, then the next thing you know, he's fighting TJ. And, you know, I'm in camp for seven weeks. And, and you know, we just we just didn't do anything that we did on our own system. And then, you know, it was kind of, I, I just didn't even feel right being out there cornering him. It was, it was kind of that situation in camp him and his corner and his people, and then me and his uncle, like, we're just in there. You know, me and his, his uncle Bob were just kind of stuck together, and we kind of hold mitts, and then all of a sudden we were being told what to do instead of, uh, of instead of me lining out the training, like the dork right. jiu-jitsu coach is trying to run a practice. I'm like, what the hell? What's going on here? But it was just all to kind of just take uh, the power, I guess, power, responsibility, or, you know, competence away from me. And then, uh, and then you watch uh, Embedded, we come into uh, – New York, or we're leaving Sacramento, it shows a clip of me, and it says Justin Buckles, and on all the other embedded, it says Cody Garbrandt's head coach, but on that embedded, it said Cody Garbrandt's Muay Thai coach, and then the next day I watched it, I go, oh, it looks like I've officially been demoted, you know, so it was just a weird time, and then, then after that, I wasn't in his corner anymore, and then, you know, the results he had, but, you know, right. if Cody has anything left, and I believe he's got everything left, I don't, I don't, I believe, like, you know, he got knocked out, but he didn't get He's not getting get knocked out like face down in a, in a in a lifeless pile. He got hit with like seventeen punch combinations. He's still there. His eyes were still yeah. there. He didn't he didn't get turned lights off. He's he's a young man. So you know, back to my statement: if Cody Garbrandt has anything left, and I think he has it all left, he could be champion again just with the right system. You know, the right yeah, system, totally. the right motion. Get get right. these uh, uh, blood suckers off his belly. You know, and. Yeah. Uh, get these yes men away from him and, and go back to what, what he knows. And, and he, he'd really be untouchable. I don't, I don't know uh, who, who could beat him in division right now. Maybe triple C triple, You got to watch out for triple C. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that, guy, that guy's uh, beating everyone. That, uh, what he did to uh, TJ, I mean, that was uh damn impressive. I mean, you know, all the, you know, the shit talking going on and then, uh, you know, finishing it like that, that was uh, pretty remarkable, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, they think, beat Marlon. Yeah. I mean, TJ was like a frail boy at 25 or whatever. I thought that was just one of the most ridiculous. Uh, I don't know how 
what, how that, because I feel like TJ in his camp kind of hijacked our plan. You know, my plan for Cody oh, yeah. was always we go down and beat Demetrius because Cody was small. Cody comes in, he's sm- he he's not. You don't cut a bunch of weight, which is perfect. He comes in, he's explosive, he's he's clearing his mind, and and that's why he was able to put together these knockouts. But we just cut a little weight, go down to twenty five, whoop Demetrius, who was the pound for pound king at the time, and then we were gonna go back up, whoop uh, Dominic Cruz again. And then we're going to fight Adrian Brunner or Pacquiao at the time. That was my plan in boxing, you know, do the McGregor. Um, but once TJ beat Cody, I feel like TJ just hijacked that plan. And it's like, that's a good plan if you fight. But the, the whole point is Demetrius is pound for pound. Why yeah. would you cut down and wait to fight someone who just won the belt? I just thought the whole logic of that was, was ridiculous. Like, so TJ beats Cody two times. Uh, he's arguably the greatest guy ever. And then he's going to cut weight, do something he's never done before. You know, one of the hardest things to do on the planet is defend the UFC World Championship at any weight against anybody. And you can prove that for in, in big upsets. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Bisping. No one thought Bisping was going to beat Rockhold. No one thought TJ was going to beat Burrell. No one thought Cody was going to uh, beat Cruz. Well, I did on Burrell and TJ. I thought TJ was going to win. And also on Cody and Cruz, I thought Cody was going to win. You know, an upset happens because the belt is on the line. It's another human in there, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't care how many reps he did, left hook reps, or if he fucking ran in a pool or whatever, you know? This guy's in there trying to get that gold. You're trying to take his life, man. This guy's dangerous. So so uh, I thought it was just a ridiculous amount of risk to put on something that's already so fragile and so hard. Now let's cut weight and go to a, a tiny weight class that we've never fought in before and fight someone who won the belt two months ago. You're not fighting yeah. the GOAT, Demetrius. You're fighting someone who won the belt two months ago, you know? Yeah. Then you get knocked out in 10 seconds, you know, or whatever it was. Well, it's another thing. But, you know, but, respect, but at the end of the day, respect for TJ for getting out there and trying it, you know. I just thought he kind of got led down the wrong way. I think he tried to hijack Cody's plan, and it sounded good. But once Demetrius was, was out of 25, I, you know, the, your, your first mistake was fighting Triple C. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> well, you already had months, months and months of uh, buildup on on the plan of going down and fighting DJ or uh, fighting DJ just on yeah. the podcast. I mean, you guys are talking about it for a long time about that's just the plan. Cody's gonna, you know, win the belt and then, you know, go after yeah. Demetrius and. Yeah, you know, exactly. Stud yeah, Radio. Anybody that TJ was the equity stakeholder in Stud Radio, for, so he was definitely listening. Got stole the idea. <laughs> <laughs> Well, talking about uh, Stud Radio, uh, what was your inspiration for doing that? Because still to this day, outside of recently, uh, give him a plug here, Ray Longo, with uh, his MMA and beyond. There's no other powerhouse gyms at your time when you started it that you have a head coach with a podcast that gave direct insight to a team that I think – that's what made a lot of people fit into a lot of the guys that you were training at the time. I mean, going back to mid-2014, nobody else has done it since. Now that I can really think of anyway that I've come across and watched. So kind of what was your inspiration for doing that and to put that kind of time and effort when you're training these world champions? Well, one of my buddies at the time, Sir Studboy, you know, the Mongoloid, he was uh, – <laughs> he, uh, we, we just got together and we, we just loved – just talking crap about everything. And um, we, we ended up, I, I was living with him at the time. We were roommates and I was like, man, let's start a, a podcast. So we bust out the laptop, bought this snowball mic. 
and we just started recording. We actually started doing Stud Radio. We were years before our YouTube debut out of the with the soap and all that. There's episodes. We had episodes with Misha Tate on them. You know, when she was back at Alpha Male, we had old school episodes that were only audio. And okay. uh, yeah, that so it was back in the day. I mean, I think Joe Rogan might have just got off the laptop. He was on his laptop. And then he got into like a studio. He started doing a studio. He started doing like twenty twelve. Yeah, this was before Alpha Brain. Before twenty twelve. Yeah, this is this is before Alpha Brain. There's no Alpha Brain. There's no on it. He was doing his podcast, and um, he he just got off the off the laptops. But I was doing it way before then, you know. So I was a, a pioneer in the podcasting game, and you know, I'll tell you this now. After since Stud Radio hasn't been active for going on two years now, I'll tell you this that. Uh, it kind of set the tone for all the podcasts. Now, Stud Radio really made everyone believe that anyone could podcast. And then you see these guys, and they're terrible. Like, right now, they yeah. got Brendan Schwab. That guy is a is a buffoon. I, I, he gets every <laughs> fight wrong. He says everything wrong. He doesn't know anything. He can't even talk right. He can't even – like, I don't, I'm don't. i not the best at pronunciation, but give me a break. You know what I mean? The guy is, is – you, you have to be somewhat have a way with words. You can't just be some big goof and just – Fart the whole, well, that's kind of kind of what we did, but we had intelligence and stuff behind our, behind behind our shows. I mean, you know that, but uh, and then think, look at the set, think of the or the set, think of the stud radio set with the two chairs, the one big red one, the mics, and the big bar of soap on the back, and then all the funny little things. Every yeah. podcast now has our set. Think about this: we haven't been on the air for like two years, and I think we had eleven or twelve thousand followers on Instagram uh, at that time. And I looked at UFC Unfiltered, the UFC's podcast. They have world champion Matt Sarah and that other guy, Jim Norton, who's like a comedian. Yeah. They got like 9,000 followers. And, dude, we had millions of views. We had millions of hours of listen to. We had Stud Nation and, um, you know, never made any money off it. I got one sponsor, Memory Tag. Shout out to Memory Tag. They were paying, paying me 500 bucks that we would uh, talk about them and give away their cards and whatnot. Uh, but I gave that all to uh, – to a, a dishonest intern who just pocketed all the money, you know, throughout those times. So I never made a cent time. Yeah. It only cost me money. It only cost uh, Sir Studboy yeah. money. But he gets money from the government, so uh, <laughs> it ain't bad for him. Um, well, I got one question. Did you watch his podcast when he had Colby Covington on there? And he was just completely telling everybody. Everybody knows what Covington's doing, but Sean completely just drew it out the plan. You know, he completely destroyed the kayfabe that he's trying to do, you know, completely tried killing the character on his podcast. When Covington is in character on his podcast, he's trying to, like, kind of rip the carpet from up under him. I, I, I guess I don't get, you know, why you would have a guest on and do that to the guy when he's trying to sell tickets. Um, hey, the jerk. Is That's not, not, so my question is, where did the beef start with you guys? Because, I mean, you guys have been talking crap about him for years. What? You guys. He stole yeah. our intro. How, how did it start? He stole our intro, and then he stole our set. And then there was there was stuff we we would do and say, and the next the same week, I mean, they have a producer that watches us. That's true. Like, yeah. they know about our podcast. I mean, how do you not know about our podcast? But um, they had a producer that would watch our stuff, and uh, I think Uriah was the one telling us that, that he went and talked. He went on the Fighter and the Kid show, and it was yeah. funny because – Uriah on the Fighter and the Kid got like 80,000 views, and Uriah on Stud Radio got like 150,000. We were kicking their ass on the views uh, when we were going head-to-head back then. But 
I just wish Stud Boy was a bigger man and didn't let the the ship kind of sink. You know, it's hard to do it all on your own. But uh, anyway, with Schwab, it's like I don't know. I I I don't really have anything good to say about that guy. I don't really know him, and um, yeah. I feel Covington should have just. You know, Covington's out there trolling. You should just, I don't know. I, I would have to listen to it, but I don't listen to Schwab. I just won't do it. But, yeah. but, oh, the beef started. So there's an article from MA Imports, and we did our intro where uh, Studboy sings, you know. He's all, look at those yo-yos. That's oh, the I missed it. Straight. Play the guitar and MTV. You know what I'm saying? He would sing this, and, uh, and then he'd say, coming at you live. That was his big thing. And we yeah. were actually live. We were the, we're the only live podcast. Everyone else stops and edits their shit, but we had no fear, and we were badass. And so we just did all our stuff live off the cuff. And then uh, Fighter and the Kid, they had some stupid intro. Then they changed their intro after, you know, we were kicking their ass on views, and it, started, it, it went, uh, Brian Callen goes, coming at you live. And he goes, and then Schwab goes, wait a minute, we're not live. And they're like, doo, 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 fighter in the kid, fighter, whatever their lame stuff was. But they stole that. And then, uh, you know, there was a, there was a bunch of uh, jokes and stuff. And I've, I've heard that before. There's, there's Stun Nation is still out there sending me clips. Like, there was this whole bit that Schwab was talking about. He was trying to talk about how, like, me and Stud Boy were talking about wet wipe usage and how you're, like, uncivilized if you don't use a wet wipe and, I realize how stupid that is now, like being like a real man, you know, but having like, you always having wet wipes. And I was, yeah. my example was like, if, if a bird shit on you or if a human shit on you, you wouldn't just take a dry piece of paper and wipe that off. You'd get some soap and water, you know, you'd have something with, and that was my comparison for wet wipes. And then someone yeah. sent me a thing of Schwab t- talking about the same bit, but it was just disgusting and distasteful. He kept talking about like, I don't know how it was on his hand and it was really stinky or something. It just grossed me out. But, you know, I did that when I was like, I probably 27 or, you know, no, I wasn't that. I was still, no, I was 30 years old. What can I say? Immature. For my <laughs> hey, it happens. Immature. So some, summer of Cam, your head coaching career takes off. Um, we kind of talked about, you know, all your accomplishments there. Can you explain what it was like walking in the gym every day prior to taking the home and, you know, taking over? And then how it was lining up all those guys and, and putting in your, your curriculum in your system? Man, it was the most fun thing ever. Like, before I was head coach, it was – the talk was, we have to hire a Brazilian guy. He used to coach Anderson Silva. We have to hire a guy from Holland. Oh, uh, this guy did this. We can bring him in. He needs a green card and a family. And I put everyone in, in – I convinced uh, Danny Castillo to coach. He didn't want to coach. I convinced him to coach wrestling. Chris Hallsworth was kind of willing, but put him in a position as the jiu-jitsu coach. Um, put some other people. Had Master Tong, brought Master Tong back uh, to Alpha Male, and uh, got him on the Muay Thai. And, and then uh, I tied it all together with the pro practices and personal private lessons with uh, one-on-one lessons and whatnot. And, and uh, you know, it, every day going to the gym was just the most fun I've ever had. I just see all the people that I, I, I loved and, uh, you know, people getting better. And, and uh, you know, it was uh, – it was really we really took the uh, motto of America, you know, "E pluribus yeah. unum" out of many one. That was what we did. We were all different, but we all had the same goal, you know, to get better. And we just had fun getting better, you know. And honestly, a day at Alpha Male, I'd come in the old gym, and uh, you know, usually Cody Garbrandt would be sitting on the picnic table, like a you know, just like <laughs> he's like a you know, some a pit bull just wagging his tail. 
I'd come in and he'd be sitting on the on the picking table. And I'd open up my office. I'd fill out a sheet that everyone signed. He'd be one of the first guys to sign it. And then Darren Elkins and Lance Palmer and these people would be there early and and uh, ready to go. And at nine thirty, we were running, you know, and uh, yeah. we just work hard all day. Next thing you know, an hour and a half practice would go by. The dudes would have expended some ridiculous amount of energy in different drills, never letting their heart rate go down. And they would have just been having the bet, most fun they've had. And then we would go eat, come back, train again, eat, hang out. So what? So on Stretch Show Episode 203, you announced you're no longer the head coach, but you stayed around for a little while. Um, what was the conversation like with Faber when he tells you he wants to go with multiple coaches? And then how was this perceived by some of the veterans in the gym? Like Lita, I mean, the guy's been around forever. Elton's been around forever. And they come to Team Alpha now because they see what's going on. And, they, you know, they had good careers before, but they both had huge resurgence with you as a head coach. Um, I mean, how are, how are the guys in the gym kind of taking the, hey, we're doing great, but we're going to switch things up kind of deal? Man, that was, a, that was just a long, long uh, chipping away of everything that I did and undermining and getting other people on your team. And, like, it was like a big high school crazy drama thing. I, I stood on my principles and, and my what I uh, accomplished, you know what I mean? I didn't think there was yeah. any way that, uh, you know, Cody wouldn't have me as his head coach. I didn't think that was possible. I didn't think that uh, Darren Elkins would not use me and, uh, uh, you know, use me. I would, I would never think that he would think that, like, okay, I'll just bring in some other dork and have him train me and it'll be the same, you know? I, I just yeah. never, never comprehended that. I said, I did my work. I've proven myself. I mean, I, one time I, I got on a, I was going on a flight. I bought the ticket myself to go corner this kid, Eric Sanchez, who's just, you know, just some uh, up-and-coming kid on the team in L.A., and I went to the airport, and my flight was delayed, so I Ubered back to the gym to finish the, out the rest of practice. You know, I already had my, my sub in there, but I just like to go watch and make sure stuff is running right. And, you know, I thought I had proven myself. I had, I spent, like, all my own money on a lot of traveling, on, on hotels and stuff like this and i was receiving a salary you know but uh uh you know i i had put in all this this work and and i was at the gym first and i was usually the last to leave i was had to make sure the mats were clean you know all this stuff uh yeah and and i thought my 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 work spoke for itself that's what i was taught you know i thought it didn't matter what people said is you have to do what what you know do the real work and and uh these people i said no no they know everyone knows but you know you get someone with uh with a, a little smile who speaks a soft word or a harsh word and these so-called men uh, cower and accept anything they say and, and you can really shape people's brains and twist what they think and you know I saw yeah. all that happen and it's just you know that was just one of the harder times I've been in because if you think of a social situation it was like my identity was now alpha male coaches MMA and all this and then to have you know just here's the thing I opened my own gym I signed a lease on my own gym. It's in West Sacramento. I'm actually minutes from it now. I'm just leaving the nugget. I'm, I'm going there now. I have my own gym. And imagine what I can do when there's not the people who own the team working against me. You know? Yeah. Imagine when I have everyone on my side and we have, we are Eat Pervious doing them out of many one. We have one goal. We want to crown a champion. And it doesn't have to be you. It can be the guy who comes in. It can be the kid that, you know, everyone writes off. The smelly guy who comes in. I, I could care less. Like, if you and here's the thing too, when I was running Alpha Male, there was no tryout. It was if you showed up and you continually showed up, you can stay. Because if you yeah. showed up and you continually show up, 
you are a bad mofo. I guarantee that. I, I don't care if someone else can beat you in a cage fight. You are strong of mind and you are strong of body. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you are what man is. And if you're a girl and you're doing it, you know, more power to you. It, it, it's incredible. And that's the same philosophy that I'm going to uh, bring in here, just, just adding a bunch of better ones. Because I've been two years out of, out of a, a, a high-level room. Shot tried to recruit me to be the head coach of Evolve multiple times. He flew me to Singapore. Uh, I was speaking with uh, government officials of Kazakhstan to to work out there. And then some of my good buddies uh, hit me up for gyms uh, in L.A., in Reno, uh, in Texas, uh, these places. But, you know, I just stuck to my own guns, and I got a building now that is just, I, I mean, it's, it's about to be built out. And I'm going gangbusters, man. If someone thinks they got what it takes to be champion, I'll, I'll, I'll prove it true or wrong. You know what I mean? Either way, you'll yeah. know. If you think you got what it is to be champion, you come out and train with me. You're either going to be champion, or or you're not. I mean, we will find out. We will find out if you got what it takes. And and um, because I know what it takes to to put a fighter at that level. I've had oh, for 16 world 16 world title fights under uh, uh, the UFC. I've cornered 100 UFC bouts. I've cornered over a thousand MMA bouts. I did this for 10 years. You know. Ten years yeah. I was cornering, fighting, coaching, and uh, it's ten years, ten thousand hours to be a master. But I got, you know, I got ten, I got ten times that experience. I lived at a uh, MGM Grand for almost three months, you know, and fight weeks added all up. Yeah, well, you know, I know, I know where all the food is. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and, and you just mentioned you opened up the gym. Um, seen the pictures you're posting on Instagram. Uh, the place looks awesome. Um, Obviously, you know, we seen you get the the big tire in there. You just posted earlier. Um, yeah, no, we did. I did that today. Um, yeah, I did that today, just now. Do you are you do you find on doing any recruiting at colleges to get guys to come out, or no? Um, are you going to do like a, just kind of like an open invitation? Hey, if you want to come out, this is where I'm at. That's, that's kind of my my thing. Is uh, you know, I, I'm not really trying to convince people to let me make them a champion, you know what I mean? Or help them on their journey. It's obviously, it's obviously not just me. You have to have a willing athlete, but I, I know a system, you know, I, I know, I know the, the correct inputs you put into what level of athlete, and what you're going to get out of it. You know, I really yeah. know. And uh, for me, the, the recruiting philosophy is if you build it, they will come. The right people will come through the door. Like I'm the kind of guy I get excited around doors. Because you never know who's going to walk through the door. It could be the next champ. You know what I mean? Yeah. It could be the next president. It could be the next business owner. You know, and 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 that that can happen anytime. But my philosophy is is just that to all the fighters out there looking for some place to go, looking for some place to train. You know, if you build it, they will come. We'll see if you're worthy to to stay with it. You know, but yeah. you will have all the opportunities. All the opportunities will be here uh, at this place. And then also, I'm gonna the the. My most important thing for the gym is the kids' program, for obvious reasons. Uh, I would like to have a homegrown champ, someone that I get in the teenage years or younger, you know, some young young stud coming in who doesn't have to start out as a stud, but that's what training's for. Um, recruitment out of college, it's I feel the the way I see on that is if you're trying to be an MMA fighter and you're smart, you know, you know where to go. And that, that's yeah. all I got to say about that. Hell yeah. Obviously, you got Cynthia, who's. Um, I'd kind of like to ask you, how many wins do you think away before getting a title shot? I mean, one, two. Well, or? well, I mean, think about it. She's fighting Claudia, and Claudia is probably the second most 
the biggest name in the division behind Joanna. I mean, you got Karate Heidi up there, but Claudia, you know, she's a good-looking girl, ultimate fighter, uh, challenged for the belt, uh, fought Joanna twice, you know, challenged for the belt, uh, has a big following. And uh, if Cynthia looks impressive against Claudia, impressive and gets a finish, she could possibly fight for the belt next. Because think about it, Tatiana could fight Zing Zhang Zhu, and then uh, uh, whoever wins that will be open for a belt. And if she does has an impressive finish on uh, Godella, Cynthia could be right there. Now, if she gets a win, she's going to be – the worst she can do with a win over Claudia, uh, a decisive finish, is number one contender. Possible yeah. title shot. I mean, Cody got the shot off beating Mizugaki. Things have to lay right. TJ just stepped in and fought Burrell when uh, – Cruz, no, Cruz pulled out against Burrell, and TJ got, came in and got the shot. Title shots oh, can yeah, happen yeah. off of one fight, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, for sure. So, of course, we keep our sights, our idea on that, but if if someone else has to get the shot, we'll stay active and fight either Joanna, Karate Hottie, Tatiana, you name them up there, you know? Uh, yeah. The girl that beat uh, uh, the little girl, the little tornado, uh, the girl that just beat her, Marina. She's a Brazilian, oh, yeah. little, yeah, little yeah, tough yeah. girl, Muay Thai girl. We'd like to just take her down and sub her in the first round and get her out of there. Uh, yeah, I think she's at, uh, I think she's four or five and zero oh in the UFC. So I mean, she's what? I think I believe she's four or five and zero oh in the UFC, right? Oh yeah, no, yeah, she's undefeated. Yeah, so yeah, that's so. the thing with Mick Maynard. We're trying to fight Wheelay, Wheelay uh, in uh, Sacramento, and, and since it was originally on that card, but she broke her foot, and uh, we couldn't get Wheelay because they had her ready for the belt. So we I, we said, hey, let's fight Marina. At least if we can't fight someone, and everyone in the top ten were making all these excuses, and then they didn't want to fight, and blah blah blah. And uh, we said, fine, if we can't get the undefeated, and we can't get the uh, top ten, or if we can't get the top ten, we'll take the undefeated. And Marina wasn't top ten, but she's undefeated, so that's momentum. Yeah. That's a real win. If no, someone's never lost, and you're the one to do it. So then you know the MA fans will say, oh, she's shocked anyway. She's exposed. Yeah. Like the word, you're exposed. Being lost, getting a loss doesn't mean you're exposed. You know, these dorks. But <laughs> hey, I mean, everybody. I mean, look at uh, DC. You know, he loses against Jones, and then look what he did after that when Jones was out. I mean, yeah, wrestling guys that people were scared to fight. So I mean, it happens. Yeah, I mean, how many times did basketball teams get to lose? They lose like dozens of times or something. Oh, yeah. Like what yeah. the heck? But in MMA, you can't lose one. You got to be perfect. The highest standard of any standard. Oh, well, I think we can thank uh, Mayweather and uh, Crossover with boxing for that. I mean, it's just, it's almost a, you know, in boxing, they're handed their first 20 wins, you know, with a yeah. guy that's got, you know, a bright future, you know, is looking good. And then after that, you start easing into tough fights. And um, definitely in the UFC, I mean, you're getting a, a tough fight by, for sure by your third fight. I mean, and and I mean, it's fight sport is, you know, the records matter, and all the other sports, the records don't matter. Yeah. You know? I mean, they, you have to have a certain amount of wins to be for the championship, but that one game matters, the championship game or the seven-game series or the couple-game series matters. It's like, it'd be nice if it was MMA, if you could do something yeah. like that. But For sure. Uh, there's a couple more questions. I'm going to cut out a few of these because I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I want to see so, Mazzaval versus Diaz for the hardcore belt. Yeah, I was just wondering, who do you got? Man, I don't know, man. It's tough to – I don't know. I I feel like they're both kind of the, the same style of fighter, but Masvidal has the ability to 
do a jump knee to knock someone iced out with a punch, you know what I mean? And yeah. Diaz is more an accumulation kind of guy. So yeah, I think three rounds, I'd go Masvidal. Nate Diaz, or uh, five rounds, I'd slide more towards Nate, I feel. Okay. But three rounds, I'd say Masvidal. I feel like he's explosive enough to, you know. But I thought that was Pettis, too. I thought Pettis would be able to control, you know what I mean, the storm that is Diaz for 15 minutes, be able to score and be on the outside. But he also yeah. broke his foot, you know. He, but Diaz yeah. is hard to kick, man. You know, I, I, I sparred with the guy long time ago, and, and this is back in the day when he was just dressed off the ultimate fighter, and people were saying, oh, man, he doesn't even hit hard. I'm like, no, he hits hard, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's his fist. He's long, and he throws him in. Man, they, they – uh, no, yeah, so three rounds, I'd say uh, Masvidal. I'd, I'd say Masvidal is my pick. And then uh, five rounds, I'd, I'd touch fine towards Diaz. But if if, if someone's going to get someone out of there early, it'd probably be Masvidal. So. Okay. Uh, DC, DC, phase three. Oh, man, that one, the win, who wins that is the fans, I got to say. I mean, I think they should definitely do that trilogy fight, and I think they should, if that's DC's last fight, ride out with that big paycheck, and if he can he can beat Stipe, ride out with that big paycheck. But I feel like DC uh, owes it to himself and his career to do that match, no matter what his motivation is now, and at least collect a check for, for himself. You know, I'm not inside his head, but just looking at it from yeah. the outside, I like that. Uh, but, you know, I, I would like DC to uh, – you know, and, and I would, I would, I don't know. I like Stipe. Uh, he's an active firefighter, man. He, they, they posted a picture of him the other day. He's cleaning the toilet with the UFC belt on, and I was like, that's a real man, you know. <laughs> that's that's um, that's a real alpha male. It doesn't flex much, you know what I mean? He, he, yeah. He, if you're cleaning the toilet, and you got the UFC belt. Say something to him, you know. It, right. His humbleness. Not only that, you know, he's he's uh, serving his community and he's he's serving, uh, you know, his fellow citizens. And people yeah, write that off. I don't write that off, man. I don't. I don't care if a firefighter can make decent money. I mean, he's making decent money, but he's serving the community. Here's the difference yeah. between that guy and the average guy. When the house is burning down, the average guy's gonna run away. Stipe and the firefighters are going inside the house and saving your family. You know what I mean? So those guys, yeah. those guys deserve respect, and they're not respected enough. Hell yeah, uh, Whitaker Adesanya. Oh man, that's a tough one, man. I. I picked against Alessandra like his last two fights because I just thought he was off flash and no substance. But and I don't know, Whitaker's the guy to beat Alessandra though out of everyone. You know? Yeah. So I, uh, oh man, I'll go with uh, I'll go with Whitaker. I want to go with Alessandra because he's got the hype and he's the he's the young the young kid. And he I met him I met him at uh, Nunez versus Holly Holm and you know he's he's massive man. He's got he's got a big Big head and he's tall. He's massive. Yeah. But Whitaker, Whitaker, I thought was like a Aussie giant when I when I saw him in New York when Cody fought. He was monstrous as well. So uh, that's just uh, a great fight for me. Weidman versus Reyes. How do you think Weidman looks going up in weight? Do you think that uh, stops mm-hmm. some of these late fight mistakes that he's had on his last three or four fights, or or uh, do you think it's going to be a, another Rockwell story? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the other guy Reyes. He's just like a tall, tall, lanky kid. I kind of, I know. I don't know. Not interested. Okay. Uh, and then <laughs> do you think Benavidez gets Cejudo, uh, Cejudo next? You know, uh, you can look at Cejudo and see the terror he's been on since Joe fought him. And you look at that fight with Joe and Cejudo. I think Cejudo dropped Joe in the first round. And, and uh, yeah. I had that fight, you know, I scored it for Joe because I'm biased and Joe's my friend. But objectively, that fight was a dang 
coin flip. It was real close no matter what, right? We could all admit yeah. the fight was real close. And if you look at what Benavides has done and what Zahudo has done, the momentum's with Triple C. You know what I mean? I'm even yeah. calling the guy Triple C. But here's the thing. If anyone can do it, it's Joseph Benavides. And, uh, you know, I'm rooting for him, so I'm definitely going for Benavides. But I love Triple C, and I love Triple C's coach, uh, Eric Albertson. I, sh- I should say uh, manager. You know what I mean? Okay. He's like yeah. uh He's like a, a WWE manager, but he's actually his coach. Cool. Uh, and then um, another exciting thing, which we already kind of touched on, but you announced the podcast is coming back. Yeah. Um, who's going to be the co-host? Are we going to see Sir Studboy ever back on? Uh, when is the first episode going to drop? Do you have any information on that? Man, Studboy, right? I don't know. He's he's kind of having health issues. He's been stuffing his face with nothing but ahi tuna appetizers and I don't know, man. It's, <laughs> we're going to try to get him out of He's like in one of those uh, uh, beds that can, like, lift him up and stuff. So he's pretty pretty comfortable laying in, the, in that bed all day. So I, I don't know if he'll come down to the studio or not. But uh, that's, that's going to be one of the funnest things here, putting this podcast together. There's uh, some some uh, some interesting media conglomerates that are really trying to get into podcasting, and, and we're, we're talking to them right now. But it's it's definitely me. Uh, I'm gonna be one of the hosts. Stud boy, we we don't know. We gotta we gotta get more info from him and see if, if he can commit to something. But you know, the production and everything else is gonna be uh, way better than than it was last time. You know, the last time oh, it was well, like I was just trying to piece it together, uh, yeah. hold that thing together by a million different strings with uh, very little help. And now I gotta I'm gonna have a a crew and 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 be financed and everything else. So it's gonna be it's gonna be sick. And I'm pulling the covers down on everyone and everybody, man. I don't know about any of these so-called analysts. I don't, I mean, I, Schwab, these guys, are like, I don't even get it, man. I don't even know what they have to do with fighting. What are they talking about? Who's breaking anything down? You know, the guy yeah. that never fought, you know, no offense, no offense. That's fine. But have an, have, a, have your counterpart or something, you know, like yeah. when it's firing the kid, which one of those guys is supposed to be the expert? I feel like Brian Cowan calls stuff way better. You know, yeah. And Schwab has been in there, so that just goes to tell you it doesn't matter if you've been in there. You got to have some sort of level of intelligence. But uh, I don't know. Shout out to Cowan. Keep, keep, stay strong, man. <laughs> I know what he's going through. He's like has to deal with his big old <laughs> doing his thing. <laughs> well, I hope uh, I hope you get Seth White back on there, and I hope you tell him he cannot complain that an episode goes past forty-five minutes because um, right. Listen to the episodes. That was. That was definitely on my go-to. I was a subscriber. I definitely will be again. And uh, Hell yeah, I'm man. definitely a long-time fan. And that podcast uh, really made me a fan of kind of the whole team over there and, you know, gave insights. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. Um, it's definitely been an honor talking to you right now. And uh, I want to say yeah, thank you. all your future endeavors. And uh, I hope I can uh, maybe reach out in the future sometime. Yeah, no, definitely. Anytime. Anytime. Hell yeah. Any oh, any time, gotta, hit me up and, and I'll uh, we can talk about whatever. I, I got di- you know that you you listen to Stud Radio. I got diarrhea of the mouth. I'll never stop. We can keep going. <laughs> I, know, I, I know one of your last uh, one of your last uh, shows you did there. You told the uh, oh, man who was the young kid. He he started doing uh, some journalism. And, Danny uh, Mullen? No. Uh, Andrew Mumbles? Mumbles? I'm not sure if it's Mumbles. Yeah, right. no, Mumbles is a killer now. Mumbles is working for someone. Dude, I was yeah. in Vegas last time, and Mumbles was like, I have to meet you. Like, 
<laughs> and I was like, all right, come to the fighter bus right here. He'd miss me by minutes. We barely miss each other by minutes because, you know, I was running around like a psycho, but yeah, he was out there reporting on the event. You told him, you know, start a podcast, and uh, you were definitely the inspiration for me to get going on this family. It's been something I wanted to do for years, and uh, I want to say thank you to you for the uh, inspiring words that you said to other people on your podcast. So, Man, thank you. Dude, that, that's I, so cool. Hey, remember this. Look up Ellie Secback on YouTube. He's my boy, too. You know Ellie Secback Reporting. Work. I, I will definitely. I'm going to look into it tonight for sure. Okay, check him out. So let me tell you about him. Ellie Secback, he goes, he goes, hey, uh, Robert Garcia, uh, a boxing trainer. So how's uh, how's uh, uh, Amir looking in the gym, blah, blah, blah? And he says, oh, you know, he's doing this, he's doing that, he's doing this. And he goes, okay, thanks for talking to me, uh, Mr. Garcia. Always a pleasure. Ellie Secback reporting. Dude, he is, he's got it made. He's like the man for blogs. And it was that simple, shaky cam shit. And I've seen him now. He hangs out with Diaz. He's at all the events. He goes covers all boxing. That was it. So think about all the flashy lights, the wheel, giving away prizes, the shit on Stud Radio, the shit that uh, Spider and the Kid does. Then think about Ellie Secback reporting. His YouTube is killer. He gets millions of views, and he just asks, "Hey, Anthony, Anthony, how uh, are you? Did, did Ruiz? Uh, how's the training camp going?" And Anthony Joshua says, oh, "Blah blah blah blah." And he goes, "Ellie Secback reporting." And <laughs> people love him, so check him out, man. Like you. That's as simple as it needs to be to take over journalism or to be a yeah. major player to have something that simple. But right, but right on, man. I got to get running, dude. I, yeah. I appreciate your time and the interview, and it was good talking to you. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, man. Have a good night. And hey, everybody, that was our interview that I did with Justin Buckles. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. It was definitely an honor to speak with the guy. If you want to follow him again, you can find him at Justin Buckles underscore. On Instagram, you can check out his gym, at MFI Gym. And you can also find him on the website, MFIGym.com. Again, use that promo code SPECTATOR if you're looking to sign up. And then, again, please leave us a five-star review on wherever you're listening to this. Like, follow, share, and please tag some friends on anything that you think they might feel is interesting. Again, I appreciate it, and I will see you for the next one. Take care, guys.